back to the Slice and Dice podcast, number 14, the official podcast of PopNinjas.com. You're starting to include that every time now. You're getting yeah, back. Getting... Well, no, I think it's a great thing, but it was a couple ago that you, you stumbled over that, like, oh, shit. I'm more practiced. Right. I'm more learned now. Yeah, we 14. Yes. I mean, we're, we're, on, we're on our way. You know, it hit me today as we're watch, we were sitting there watching our flick of the week, or bi-week, or whatever the hell we want to call this. Um, do you realize it was six plus months ago that we rebooted? That it was six plus months ago that we were there watching Iron Man 3 and After Earth, I think was actually about that time. Mm -hmm. About six months ago would have been After Earth time, I think. Mm -hmm. Or next, uh, I don't know, Into Darkness maybe. But it's crazy how, how, how much time has already flown by, dude. Oh, yeah. I think, look at how many movies we've seen. Look how quickly everything's gone. I mean, now we're staring down the barrel at the holiday. Well, we are in the holiday season. And before we know it, we'll be hitting the March push for movies. Just around the corner. Well, we'll oh, actually have Oscar season. Well, Oscar season's always good. And then, then, yeah, then you start gearing up again for another summer run, which always seems to start earlier and earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, it used to be Memorial Day weekend was the kickoff, but... You could make an argument that summer's pushed itself all the way back to March. Yeah, in certainly to... March is a player now. We've yeah. got what the Winter Soldier rolling out in March. I know um, there's at least another. Well, I know Divergent is in March. I want to say Captain America. Oh, that's April. April. That's right. Um, but still, Divergent's going to be huge. Um, yeah, there's there's all sorts of stuff. Um, no, I, you know, I I like the fact that that we get. We're starting to get some quality stuff that's spread out a little more, too, because it used to be, and it still will be, January and, and February are always rough, but we can offset that with the fact that we can go and watch the Oscar contenders right. and see some see some quality flicks. Yeah, typically January and February are the movies that they've spent a moderate dime on that they're not entirely certain will do well, so they don't want a whole lot of competition. Like Pompeii. Like Pompeii. Like I, Frankenstein, I think is January. Yeah, yeah they just uh, they just look like they look like Immortals and 11, yeah. 11, 11, just the typical CGI bullshit you get then. And then you'll get some throwaway horror shit and that kind of stuff, so... Go Oscar movies. Go yeah. see the damn Oscar movies. Do quit, quit buying into this other crap. Um, so, I gotta, I gotta throw a disclaimer up here right off the bat, or a confession, if you will. I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life. Really? I've never seen it. Um, not not you, for you know lack what? of want, just never bother. You know the general gist of it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah more bell rings more and more gets his Jimmy, rings. Soup, yeah, yeah, Jimmy Stewart yeah. makes Campbell's soup because soup is good for right, you. Right, right, yeah. Um, the whole the world would be better off without me kind of thing. Yeah. Well, here's the world if you were if it was without you. And right. it's a sad. Back when it was a big deal to roll out Christmas movies, now we just get them on the Hallmark Channel and they all feel stupid. They all, they are. They're all so forced and contrived now. It's it's not the way it used to be. Uh, other than a Christmas story, that's really the only savior. That and the cartoons are the only saviors right. of, of of Christmas for Christmas past for me. But anyway, I've never seen it. Yes, I get the gist of it. it it's not for lack of not wanting to ever see it. It's just lack for I just never cared. Did you ever see Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street? At least nope. Wow, and, yeah, yeah. and like that, I, I I get the gist. Yeah, well, you again, you know, it's not the real Santa Claus. Well, in this case, yes, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah. It's a Wonderful Life is definitely the queen mother of them all. Yeah, I'm just not, uh, you know, I'm just not into the old black and whites of that era. It's just, it's not my thing. And maybe, maybe that makes me less of a, of a film buff than I claim to be for not wanting that. But, you know, I just, I just never, never got into it. Whatever. Um, Anyway, apparently they're going to make a sequel to It's a Wonderful Life. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about how a lot of people are up in arms over this, um, you know, basically chanting in the streets that this is something that's completely untouchable, uh, has no business being tapped into again. Um, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I understand those sentiments. There are movies out there for me. I hope they never do it. However, I think in in these types of arguments, you either have to be an all or none person. And are there movies out there that I think are are worthy of maybe looking at or exploring the options of sequels and reboots? Bill and Ted, Ghostbusters, things like that. I, I can't sit here and say that I'm on board with that and that I'm not on board with something else. Right. I think the trick, though, with It's a Wonderful Life is how many fucking years removed are we talking here? When was this? When was that film? Oh, 50s? God, 1950s. Yeah. So we're, so we're, we're talking when something 60 plus years. Honestly, how, what, what are you even talking when you're talking a sequel? Clearly, you can't bring in the original cast of characters. That, those are... They've well, long since ratted or rotted. And well, you gone. can't bring in the same actors, but then you look at like um, uh, Wizard of Oz, who's even older, and they just rolled out Oz the Great and Powerful. You still had the character of of Oz and and the witches mm-hmm. in this, and you could argue, you know, that that it was either good or bad, depending on if you ever rolled, if you ever no. caught it or not. Um, it, it wasn't great. It wasn't a complete abomination either. But if, if they roll out something similar to that, it can be done. Right. But the problem with Wizard of Oz is there was precedent, well, not in terms of movies, but there's a shit ton of Oz books out there. This would have to be somebody just flat out writing something now. And the, the, all I'd ask. I'm not arguing against the idea, but my my ask is to at least remain faithful to the intent of the original. You would hope. Because if they don't, what they can destroy is a timeless classic. Now, and I'm not trumpeting this as like the greatest movie ever, but I get why this is a holiday classic. I've seen it a few times. It's nothing I go to my way to watch, but I know what it means to some people. Right. And they, people need to tread lightly when you're starting to do sequels to these, because there are people that hold them pretty damn dear. Well, you got to figure that this would this would entail just some, you know, 60 years beyond, and not even necessarily have to reference um, the Jimmy Stewart character that much. It's just a continuation. These are these are likely just descendants of the characters well, that lived at that time. I, I was literally in my mind picturing the reboot of Vacation here. Yeah. Where it's basically going to be Rusty's family Which and I the shenanigans. damn thing about Now, since. last thing I heard, that thing, was, it was in rewrite hell. Uh, They've got it cast. It's rolling forward, but it's in a holding pattern. Hmm. But 
I can picture going that route. And, and much like what you said, it's hard for me to say no to this and then to turn around and say, let's do another Bill and Ted. Right. Let's do another Ghostbusters. But I use the exact same caveat with those. Stay true to what the intent of the film was. Right. Because otherwise you can really... I'm not worried about backlash. I'm worrying more worrying about taking something that people truly, truly love and pissing all over it. Well, it, I think the advantage here is that they're talking sequel and not remake. Right. Which is a completely different thing. Right. Because you could argue that um, the, this, the upcoming Star Wars stuff is it's it's sequels or yep. and or prequels however they they align it um it's not a remake if you told me tomorrow that they would come out and they were going to completely recreate a new hope yeah no then then we need to go and and, and burn down buildings right. and flip over police cars um and, and that's the what they look like they're to be to be doing with uh it's a wonderful life it's, it's going to be a sequelized uh movie yep you know, playing off of what was there before, but but a whole different story. And, and I can certainly live with that. I, I'll be curious to see what they do. And and, and I totally agree, though. I, I again picturing Rusty Griswold and the shenanigans that can ensue. I can see taking some of Jimmy Cooper's Stewart. That's <laughs> Jimmy Cooper, Jimmy Stewart, the old guy in the black and white movie running down the street. Somebody in his family who's in the same idea and have it somehow touch them in a certain way, and you can spin off. Now, I do have some issues in that, you know, you look at the Star Wars example, there are always going to be tales to be told about Star Wars. That can be an endless universe. You can branch that off a million different ways. Sure, because you've used the right right word, universe. Is there really anything that needs to be told? Not, not that I remember. Right. Uh, not not unless they're totally crafting. And and this is also different, it, it, completely different than the Oz example. Because missing from Wizard of Oz was the story of the wizard actually getting there. Right. Uh, I mean, this is just the story of Dorothy, and that's why there were so many books. Because right. there were so many other characters that, uh, that Baum had written that were in the stories. To I be honest, see a, it's a know, wonderful life. I'm assuming there's not a lot of open-ended no, stuff no. to discover about It's a Wonderful Life. No, and again, I'm not saying not to do it. It's their property. They can do it. But I just don't but know why, why this, the, other than a cash grab. And I'm sure in somebody's mind this is a, so Christmas of 2015, we'll roll this out for the holiday season and we'll have a hit. Maybe, maybe not. Because the fact of the matter is you're also talking a movie... I'm not certain that some 13-year-old kid in high school gives a frog's fat ass about It's a Wonderful Life. I'm not certain that their parents, people our age, even give that much of a shit. If they were going to do this, I think they missed it by two generations. Realistically, I think they should have put this when maybe our parents' generation was. Well, that's something. I'm thinking the parents that this is is truly relevant to, the original is truly relevant to, are dying off. They, Honestly. And this movie's going to die off with them. Because our generation's movie is a Christmas story. Right. And they've tried doing another one of those, and it was an utter abortion. Right. Because it wasn't... Straight to video. Right. And it wasn't true to the intent of the original. Correct. Um, it, yeah, this is... Let them do it, but I honestly don't see how this succeeds, other than the fact that if it costs them any more than five million bucks, I'm totally lost. All the grannies are going to go. 
And maybe that's what they're hoping for. The same ones that I argued about with the opera will be mm. rolling out for this. Could be. It, it may be. Maybe people are looking for that great holiday fair. Because honestly, but Chris... that's not a very lucrative demographic. No. No. <laughs> and it sure as hell doesn't lend itself to multiple viewings either. Right. Because they're going to go once. They're going to catch it in the early bird special. They're going to use their uh, their... What's the, the term I'm looking for? The over 55 oh, the discount. Senior discount. Then they're going to go out to the latest all-you-can-eat buffet, but still that they can hit for the lunch prices before they flip over to dinner. <laughs> and they're all going to do... it's in bed by seven. Right. And they're all going to do 15... Well, after they watch Matlock. Well, yeah. But, and they're all going to do 15 miles an hour getting in between each place <laughs> yeah, yeah. and barely be able to see over the dashboard. Yeah. <laughs> no, no offense, Grandpa. Yeah. Uh, he's dead. It is what it is. <laughs> Can't oh. offend a dead guy. So we'll segue into this, into something that they actually are remaking. And this may be something that is worth exploring, worth giving a modern spin to. Yeah, it's, it's been something a, it's that, been, oh. Something we've been talking about a lot um, around, like, Bigfoot legends and stuff. Apparently, the, the 1950s, there was a movie called The Abominable Snowman. Yeah, I actually, there's a big time actor who was in it. Who was it? Peter Cushing, uh, if I'm not right. mistaken. No, I think you're right. Grand Moff Tarkin himself was in it. I, and, uh, I seem to remember this movie. I don't think I ever saw it. Um, but it, it was about um, an expedition going up into the Himalayas and, and encountering uh, the Abominable Snowman, which I guess is mountain speak for Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, except he's white. Right. Wait, that. That sounds re- <laughs> that's racist. That sounded really racist. <laughs> it's like so he's white, so he's a good guy. I don't, yeah, I don't, he's I don't, a good guy. I didn't. That's so great. that was not my intent with that statement. <laughs> but I stand by it. But um, Hammer Films, um, which I believe they were behind the Woman in Black remake. This um, sounds right. Yeah, they are. They are going to take on and and remake the Abominable Snowman. Um, and this could be interesting because, you know, now we've got something that may be served well by modern tech and things like that. It's a wonderful life. We don't need special effects in our no. it's a wonderful life thing. But, you know, a modern spin on Abominable Snowman, if done right, it could yeah. be interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I think when you and I were talking the whole Bigfoot thing a couple podcasts ago... I reference that to me a scarier idea is is the idea of the whole abominable snowman thing because you're here you are you're as far out in the middle of nowhere the last thing you need is this 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 bigfoot like thing that's basically hunting you I can see where this could be done and done right mm-hmm. but they need to avoid having it look like a sci-fi movie yep. they really need if they sung and I'm not saying they need to sink a hundred million bucks into this no they're not going well to. you know what if they do then I'm gonna. Then I can tell you straight up. If I hear they sink a hundred million bucks, it's going this, to suck. It's going to suck because that means it's going to be CGI everything. Yep. And we, they, if they need to do this, if they want to do this, they also need a damn good amount of practical effects. Yep. Figure out some way to do the Abominable Snowman and have it look right without exactly. over CGI and the fuck out of it. Exactly. There are movies that need those kind of budgets. The one we're going to talk about and review later, Catching Fire. That needs a big right. budget to pull off what they need to pull yeah. off. The Abominable Snowman does not. But and, and I'm going to throw this reference out there. Honestly, 
you can do a lot of this with practical effects. And I, the, the Wampa in The Empire Strikes Back, to me, still stands fairly strong in its real quick shots. Mm-hmm. You'd have to do some G- CGI to get it right. I sure. get that. But you can still do the practical effects of an arm swinging or something else and not have it to have it all be CGI. I agree. You could do... And as much of it would be the buildup of being hunted, too. Mm-hmm. The tracks in the snow, the things being heaved. What and, you don't see can be just right, as scary as Which is why see. I'm geeked to see Willow Creek, because I guess there's a whole lot of that in the movie. Yeah. The the people in tents while things are being tossed at them or As or long as Willow around. Creek isn't doesn't make the mistake of the Blair Witch Project, which was good... Until you found out at the end that you're never going to see right. what they're talking about. That there's about. zero payoff. You have to have payoff at some right. point. Right. So, uh, I'm interested um, to see more, or hear more about it. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll wait and withhold judgment against it, but, yeah, why not? I'm, yep. I'm all on board with some more Bigfooty stuff. I no, I, Bigfooties. No, no question. If they're going to, if they're going to put the effort out there, I'll, I'll, I'll fall, go for it. Right on. Uh, I'll let you run with this one because you found this story that was uh, rather humorous. So it's been all over the the interwebs, and that's the story of the uh, man who I believe his wife had been cheating on him. And if I, I've heard the backstory is that he's a very well-to-do of all things strip club owner, but a very successful strip club. So when he finds out that she's been uh, banging somebody else, she gets kicked out and moves in with her boyfriend. So what does any level-thinking person do? Find out that the house next to said uh, boyfriend and soon-to-be ex-wife is available. Use your wealth from said strip club, buy the house, and erect a 12-foot granite statue of a middle finger. That they that the uh, the lovely couple gets to see on any given day. They can see it from their breakfast nook. Right. And even better, at night, have lights come on to illuminate it. So every time they look outside, there's the finger. That's awesome. And to me, this is one of the most brilliant fuck yous ever. It is... I, God love the guy. I've seen interviews with him and he's like, yeah, it's there it is. I, I, I did what I felt I had to do. He he went to court to fight for his right to have it. Thank God the First Amendment was used in an interesting way here. It was used to say, yes, this is freedom of, of speech. It is a symbol other people recognize. He didn't go all out and ju- erect a giant 40-foot screen of he and his wife banging and have her play that all the time. Right. Just a middle finger. Yep. It's a statement. Or it's a work of art. There's far worse things out there, and that's where the for once Supreme Court stood for the right person. Did it make it to the Supreme Court? Well, I, I, I mind to say in its own state. Yeah, okay. Where was it? Do you know? That's what's I don't remember. It, it seemed to me it was a warmer weather state, like a Texas or one of those, uh, but I'm not certain. Have you seen a picture of it? Oh yeah, I've seen Is a, it. Funny. Dude, it's awesome. I I it is so clearly a 12-foot middle finger, and it is very well detailed. He spent a whole lot of money on this thing. That's awesome. And there's no doubt whatsoever. When they look and up... Nobody's even living in the house. He just bought the house. Right. It just comes on. The light comes, he has the lights come on and everything else. And Have we heard from the boyfriend and the ex? No. They are not releasing any statements because nothing they can do. <laughs> I've, but I've seen the interview with the guy himself. He's like, yeah, well, there it is. He's got his own house. He's got he's got his thriving business. He now has another house with a middle finger statue, and again, good for him. Yeah, 
I mean, agree. Look, I understand that in any relationship, it takes two people. Normally, but every now and then, you do have that one where somebody just flat out fucks the other person over. Right. This guy's doing nobody any harm. Yeah. He's getting his opinion heard on any given moment, and he gets to feel better about it. And because he went about it the right way, no one can tell him not to. And to me, this, that's indicative of a bigger thing. That's the whole free speech thing. What is right, what's wrong. In this case, there is no victim. So, I, again, I'm really happy that the court found in his favor. Yeah. Because otherwise, God, I, the whole censorship thing drives me nuts. It's a middle finger. Yeah. Who hasn't seen one? Who hasn't seen the little photo of the, the kid, the baby holding up the middle finger? And everyone, ah, he's yeah. giving the finger. We know it's just a kid flexing his fingers. Middle finger's funny. Right. It's the same as farts. Farts aren't offensive to anybody anymore. Unless well, you're the I'm, presence well, I'm of one. I'm sure they're offensive to somebody. Oh, yeah. Everything offends somebody. That's right. There's somebody out there to whine about everything. Yep. That's awesome. <clears throat> so, you take a shark. And, I avoid them. Well, you tend to. Maybe through the glass partitions at SeaWorld as well. Yeah, it's close enough. But what do you... What type of food do sharks eat? Oh, seals. They go out to seals. Surfers. They need to eat more surfers. Let's be honest. <laughs> right. Dude with long hair and talks with... Yo, bro, <laughs> yeah. man. Get Hippie surfer dude needs to that, They, they need sharks. to become more chum. Yeah. I mean... Uh, the, the carcasses of things floating around, but they're all out but like, generally, in the ocean. Generally, sea-bearing animals. Right. Or, or, or everything is something that finds its way in the ocean, including right. surfer. Right. They're not going up on the beach to catch said surfer. No. If they again, I'd like to see it, but they're yeah. not. Yeah, this isn't Jabberjaw. Right. You know, no. They're, Good they're, reference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was basically just it's curly, curly as a shark, as a cartoon <laughs> And even shark. as a as a kid, you even recognize you still watch the shit out of those right. things. Oh yeah. Anyway, but so what is like the very last thing you expect shark to eat? I would say something four legged that's found in a forest in the Great White in North. In the Great White North, yeah, uh, moose. That that's that's on the top of that stuff. Shark there. does not eat. Moose. Not typically, no. Until now. <laughs> well. And I don't have the article up. I want to say maybe it was Greenland. It's or Iceland. because Iceland. Okay. It's a, it, it's a uh, what do they call them, the Greenland shark, which is common Which's... in the waterways up around there. Okay. They go, they go the key the... word here is waterway. Right. And as far as I know, sharks are saltwater. They are, but a lot of their uh, their waterways are salt water. Okay. So, and they're very, very deep. So, these are found in the oceans up around those areas, right. Iceland, Greenland. They're only in those areas, and right. I want to say it was until like 50 years ago, no one even knew they existed. Well. Because they're bottom dwellers. Like human. Which makes this even more interesting. Right. Like <laughs> human, I don't think moose drinks salt water. I hope to God not. So moose is looking for fresh water. However, shark caught moose. How does shark catch moose? Moose clearly has to go into the water. Yeah. Because shark can't go in onto land. Unless he's a no. land shark. Land shark. Candy grab. Um... So why does moose go into salt water, first of all? 
And how does Shark determine, I'm going to make that bitch mine? Yeah, I... I, So Shark catches moose and is in process of apparently eating said moose. Yeah. And Shark becomes distressed because Shark is choking on moose. Yeah. As you would think, as you would want to do if you were trying to eat eat a moose. moose. We're not talking now, about grabbing a nice moose steak. Now, we don't know that the shark was choking that because the shark was swimming up to passers-by pointing at his <laughs> throat. Give me, the, give me the Heimlich yeah. look. <laughs> we know this because two Icelandic gentlemen are driving by and witness from a distance shark choking on moose. Even though they thought it was a beached whale. Right. Which I guess it would look like. I mean, I, I these guess. sharks, these Greenland sharks, I guess, get fucking up to 20 feet long. This one was only supposed to be like 8 or 9 feet. That's moose! Still a, but, right, it's still chowing on a moose. <laughs> it's still chowing on a moose that we have really no understanding around how moose got there. No. We just know moose got there. No. And, and shark these two got guys moose. <laughs> determined that shark is choking on moose... And proceed to save Shark. Yeah. It seems to me that the moose is the one that is the victim here. Yeah. Not the Shark. I think the moose moose didn't go in to attack the Shark. No. The Shark attacked the moose. And how do you save Shark from choking on moose? Do you go up and slap Shark on the back real hard? Coughing up, shark. Yeah, well, you, you get you kind of. I, I think you encourage it. Do you to, Heimlich maneuver the shark? I think so. I think you wrap your arms around that sucker and start pumping it up, up into the gut, <laughs> and the moose just comes out eventually, and like flies across. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you see little like moose <laughs> antler go flying across. I don't yeah. know. It, yeah, none it, of this makes sense to me. No. Well, do you hear the efforts they went through to free the moose? Well, how do you do that? They one guy was the moose dead. Yeah, it was it, it 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 had killed enough of the moose that it was basically a massive chunk o moose. <laughs> and literally one guy grabbed the carcass, another wrapped a chain or rope around the tail of the shark, and they basically had tug of war. Moose carcass so on land. So they're on land. Yeah, it, how it, does shark even survive on land? Much less the choking hazard it, here. It just ca- must have, ju- as best I can tell, it was just choking to a point and distress to a point. It just beached itself. Well, how long was it out there? The- I, is, is shark not like normal fish? You know, after a couple of minutes, no shark fish is, is done. Shark is fish, right? So clearly, they're the time for the shark's sake. They're lucky. It's lucky that it, clearly Icelandic dudes. Literally had to have just happened upon this. Some redneck Icelandic dude happened to have a, a pickup and a winch. Right, and they go and literally <laughs> start tugging and basically paying tug of war with shark tail on one end and moose carcass on the other until it came free. None of this makes sense to me. And then they they pulled the they used the rope and pulled the shark back into the water. So. All this had to have happened in a matter of minutes. It had to have. But they did snap a photo of the shark once they got the moose out. Oh, they they, they stopped and took pictures with it? Evidently. We know he's been out of the water for a while. But no, it's just one quick picture. Yep. yep. No the, one's going to believe this the, story. The Icelandic paparazzi was there. <laughs> shark! Shark! Over here! Over <laughs> here! Let's be honest. Well, we're saying it and we know the story. We know it's true. Yeah. 
there are bullshit detectors and going, <laughs> oh, yeah. how did it get moose? Unless the only, the only thing I can come up with with the moose thing is it makes you wonder if there was some douchebag hunter that poached one and then cut parts of the carcass off and jumped, dumped it off, knowing that those waterways have moose. Because it was a baby moose to boot. Oh, so it was just like an appetizer moose. Right. It was like full meal moose. No, no. It's a, it was a baby moose, which makes me... I have to question whether or not we have a case where a poacher may have shot the damn thing. Mm. Either that or it was a stupid baby moose that went wading out into a waterway and got written over its head, no pun intended, until shark got it. Because I guess these are like the least aggressive sharks there are, too. They're called sleeper sharks. They're just kind of, well, Greenland sharks, they're also called sleeper sharks. They just hang out on the bottom, basically eat the scum off the bottom. So if we were sharks, we would be these sharks. Yeah, we would. Okay. We would. I mean, we're just, yeah, whatever. We're too lazy to like be real sharks. We're like great white sharks. But what bothers me is I read that they tend to, because they hang on the bottom, they tend to be in the way bottom, where they're literally just eating bacteria as the only thing that can survive because the waters are so nice. cold. So still, it makes you wonder how the fuck you got a moose. Yeah. I mean, it baffles you unless somebody cut it up. But even that, carcass floats on top. It don't hang out on bottom. Right. So this had, this had to have been a shark that was not following its own kind's normal ways uh, and was hanging around top. Either way, dude, that's crazy that anyone would go to this trouble. Tales of the Inuit. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what else are you going to do in Iceland? I guess. All right. Watch clown uh, porn. Well, yeah, I suppose there's that. Um, anyway, let's uh, take a quick break here, and we'll come back with some What We Watched This Week. All right? Come on, Annie. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the stars. <laughs> Cowboy heroes, cops and robbers, glamour and strife. So, um, we've seen a few flicks. You've seen a few flicks. Yes, I've seen a um, few. You said you have a little segue from yeah. from our shark moose discussion. Yeah. It, so, it, I'll let you kick this one off. I'm going to bring up a movie that came out in 2010 overseas, but I don't think it landed here until 2012. But it's been on Netflix for about that long, called The Reef, which I've been meaning to see. And, and The Reef is a quote-unquote true story of... Five Australians who, who have the bright idea to take a rather small schooner out to some remote island 15 or 20 miles out and spend the day splashing around in the waves and on their own private beach and what have you. Only to, after the end of the day and when they start rolling back, run into part of the reef severely damaging the boat. First thing is, as a sane person, I don't swim in no Great Barrier Reef. Because every Fuck bad that. thing you can think of That's as poor is of a decision Australia. as moose. Right. Going into shark infestation. Because if it ain't... For, with Australia, if it ain't the fucking shark, it's it's the saltwater crocodiles. Mm. And then don't forget the, the, those sea snakes, which are some of the most poisonous 
things on the planet too. So you got all I kinds think of crocodile batteries. would be a worse way to go than shark. I, I think shark's intent would be to kill you and kill you quick. And crocodiles you, don't, yeah. right? Crocodile. Crocodiles do that thing that alligators do. They basically want to to kill you and stash you somewhere until you get nice and juiced up. And then they come and chow on you when they're ready. Yeah, that would suck. And I also think the way sharks kill you. Sharks get into frenzies where chances aren't going to be just one taking you down. One's going to get you and the other's going to take you out. Crocodile, you know, the chances are there's only one croc coming to get you. Unless you're watching some movie set in the outback or whatever. Typically it's one alligator, one crocodile is getting your ass. So, yeah. Well, Great Barrier Reef aside, I don't bother with the ocean regardless. Yeah, I don't either. I don't care where I'm at. There's sharks. Again, I'm not entirely convinced that... You are not the top of the Sometimes I'm pooping. There ain't a shark hanging out somewhere underneath me. It all leads to the ocean anyway. Right. So, in the reef, the, the, the five people find themselves stranded, and they get about the least logical idea ever. They know that the island that they were at is about 13 miles away... They decide they're going to swim for it. Well, all but one of them. One of them says, fuck that. That's 13 miles of swimming, as best as we can tell, in shark-infested waters. So we ain't going to make it. I'll, I'll possibly dehydrate waiting here for a plane to come by or something. So the other four set out. And needless to say, it wouldn't be a movie if... Bad things didn't happen during the course of the swim back. It, it is actually... It, the movie plays out fairly well. A lot like there was a movie that came out years ago called Open Water. That was another true story of what? some uh, An American couple that go on a, a scuba diving trip out off Jamaica or something. And the boat fucking leaves without them after they're out in the middle of nowhere. And basically they just get picked off. And the reef plays out kind of the same way. The shark effects, though, are really well done. And there's a certain amount of creep to it. This is one of those where they constantly show a Jaws-like shark going around. And again, not, no knocking of Jaws. But Jaws can't be done over and over and over again. There's a lot more in this of people flat out panicking. And you hear the splash off in the distance. And what the hell was it? Was it a porpoise? Was this our fucking end coming to us? Um... I like the people in it enough. Again, there's a certain amount of stupidity, but if it's real life, it's real life. Um, I definitely recommend it. If you have Netflix, it's not a bad watch. I, I went in not expecting anything great. Came out of a feeling it, it was definitely worth the watch, if not still a little bit fucking scary. I'd give it about three out of five. It, it, I don't have any intention of ever watching again, but I didn't feel like my time was wasted whatsoever. Cool. Well, I got in the mood for a little comedy action, and I finally caught up with The Heat. Oh, yes. Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy as two cops. Um, in the middle of the road, it, it is exactly what it is. Um, Sandra Bullock, good cop. Melissa McCarthy, not bad cop, but, you know, uh, against the rules, uh, willing to... to uh, Break the rules to get the, the desired result cop. Um, it's basically dragnet with chicks. Mm -hmm. um, you know what you're going to get with McCarthy and anything she does. It's 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 going to be Melissa McCarthy right. in situations that, you know, in I guess enhance the qualities that Melissa McCarthy brings. And to be non-PC about that, the 
the uh, heavier set, uh, not as pretty woman. But she's embraced it. And but run she's with it. embraced it and run with it, and that's what you get. And Sandra Bullock is more of the prim, proper, by the book thing, and mm-hmm. of course, oil and water put together, and shenanigans ensue. Right. Surprise! Come on, man. Listen, I don't know what y'all doing here. I'm out the game. What part of I'm out? Do you not understand? I'm out. You want to go out? We'll take you out. I don't know. You're getting awfully heavy, Rowan. Remind me again. I want to feel your body sliding through my delicate hands. Okay, okay. Is that a warehouse on Summer Street? I'm almost disappointed. Get me out. All right, let's pull him up. Okay. No, wait. I'm not kidding anymore. Really, I can't lift him up. What? No. I can't lift him. Lift my ass up. Just tuck your head and relax your body. Let it what the? God, crap. Get me out. Get me out. <laughs> Right, the, the metal car broke his ball. Oh, the metal car! Um, I like McCarthy. I think she's funny in what she does. I think her act will get tired eventually uh, once people mm-hmm. realize this is really all she brings to the table. Bullock, I've always liked Bullock in comedic roles. I, I, I have no. I know there's a lot of Bullock haters out there. I liked Bullock. I just don't need to see Bullock do another rom-com. No, I, no, I definitely... But bluntly, I, I don't need to see another rom-com, though. So, right. I mean, that's more... I need right. to have more of a blanket statement here. Right. Um, and, you know, they play well off each other. They've got good chemistry on screen, but it's a story that just... just it's just riffing off each other in their, in their opposites attract type thing here. You know, a little bit at the end, they get to... They, they learn to... To understand each other and respect each other. It's it's so paint-by-numbers, by-the-book. Mm-hmm. It's decent enough. There's a couple of chuckles, but it's really just straight-up middle-of-the-road. Everything you expect to happen is going to happen comedy. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's straight down the middle, two and a half out of five. You know, you may enjoy it on just a night when you don't want to have to think about anything too hard. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well... I caught the to-do list, the movie that was, what, an all-but-bomb that came out a few months back with Aubrey Plaza. Uh, Her sister played by Rachel Bilson. Her parents was an interesting match, and that's Clark Gregg and Connie Britton, which I found quite interesting. Um, Her her girlfriends were played by Alia Shawkat and the other girls, Molly something, Uh, but... She's not as well known. Basically, the to-do list, if you haven't seen the commercials, it's about a girl who was like valedictorian, ultra prim proper, has the older sister who's a total slut and hasn't embraced it. Her mom is very progressive, wants to talk about lube, wants to talk about vibrators, played by Connie Britton, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. But she's very much a father's girl, Clark Gregg, who's local judge, was a virgin until he got married, and, and, and. But she decides that all of a sudden, before she goes to college, she needs to have this giant list of all these very naughty things that she's got to do. She's got to get the pearl necklace. She's got to do anal sex. She's got to she's got to bang the hottest guy in school. She's got to, and she's got this full list, hand job, you name it, it's on here. And she sets about during the course of the summer to to basically complete every single one of these. And with the final thing being banging the hot guy who's a, who's a lifeguard with her at the local community pool. I lost my virginity when I was 15. 15? No, actually 14, with Francois. 
Our exchange student? Mm -hmm. But he was so rude. He always played his stereo too loud. He never let me in his room. Touche. Yeah. Sex wasn't that bad, but it really didn't get good until sophomore year. College. Okay. That makes sense. You're more mature. High school. By then, the guys had cars. We would park at Beaver Creek. Do people still do that? How would I know? Virgin! <laughs> um... The movie is obviously a comedy. It plays out funny enough. What's interesting is, if you're a fan of Mystery Team, this is a who's who of Mystery Team people. I mean, it is right full. The Glo uh, Glover from Mystery Donald Team's Glover. in it. Um, uh, DC Pearson's in it. Of course, Aubrey Plaza was in it. Um, it's right. It, it, it feels very much with that set. It really... I found that it played out well enough. I don't know there's that much here to go back and do a repeat viewing. And it's it's more, it's very R-rated in terms of the language and what it's giving you for you to, for her to try to do. Don't go in expecting some skin flick comedy. There, It ain't here. Um, but again, it's certainly worth a view. You're not going to feel like you, you waste your time. Um, it's one long 90s reference. The ninjas are into 80s references. This is a, a constant reference to 93. She's got a Trapper Keeper. She's got a Macintosh 2. All the music is right out of there. All the, they, they constantly talk about the the outfits that were popular then at the end of the, it was the end of the women wearing the shirts with the giant shoulder pads looking like V's. Again, it plays out funny enough. Certainly worth giving it a shot. I don't recommend buying this thing. I'm glad I didn't spend 10 bucks to go out and see it. And the ending to me doesn't have a tremendous amount of payoff. It You can see it coming a mile away. It, no pun intended with the word coming. But it, it still just, I don't know, it, it felt way too predictable. Still a 3 out of 5. You won't be bummed that you watch this movie. Cool. Well, I was bummed. Uh, -oh. uh with the next movie that I watched. Um, if we remember back to the Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez Grindhouse uh, collaboration, we had some movies that were generated from some of the fake trailers they used during that, and one of them was the Machete franchise. Yep. And on the original Machete, I thought they did a really good job with. I thought it was a, it was a nice nice throwback to the B movie Grindhouse genre. So, we get a sequel, Machete Kills. And everything that made Machete good, they chose to ignore in Machete Kills. And yeah, you still have Danny Trejo running around being Danny Trejo with, uh, with some, you know, a couple over-the-top kills. But the character, a lot of the stuff is just rehashed stuff from the first one with no growth to any of these characters within this and yeah i know it's b b movie and grindhouse but that doesn't mean that you have to keep your characters in one specific spot uh develop developmentally um you know uh what's her name rodriguez uh michelle rodriguez, michelle rodriguez is back for this uh jessica alba is back for this um they bring in charlie sheen as the president. I'm over the Charlie Sheen well, act. I yeah. am too, because you know, people like this are not the people we want to be. It's not funny anymore. No, Charlie Sheen is not funny. If anymore. anything, His it's act is sad. Tired. It's it is somebody sad. who really has needed help, but 
Um, Didn't really get but it. But they choose to play off play off Charlie Sheen here, um, and it's just it's just dumb. It's not funny. There's nothing funny about this movie that you find. There's none of that cheesy B movie goodness. It's it, it, what you do get that's even remotely interesting is stuff that they just rehashed from the early stuff from from the first film. And I saw it in the first film. I, I did not need this. And now they're going to take this to it even farther to complete like a circle, a trilogy with machete kills in space. And it's just getting dumber and dumber and dumber where this thing worked well as the trailer during Grindhouse and it worked well on its own for that one film. Now it's just tired. Now it's just, just dumb. It's uninteresting. It's a complete waste of time. I give it, I think I give it maybe a, a one and a half, maybe a one even out of five. It's not worth your time. If, if you saw, unless you're a completist and have to see all the Machete movies or you're a Danny Trejo fan, but Danny Trejo's not a good actor. Danny Trejo. Uh, no, he, he's what he, he is. is what he, he is. He, he's, a, he's a pulp icon at this point. Right. Um, I, this, I, is, this, is a, this is a waste of time. I am curious, because now the only trailer... We've got, what, two trailers from that movie that have been done. Those the Thanksgiving... Wasn't there one called Thanksgiving? Well, that was a trailer during there. Right, which they... That's a movie they haven't done. I don't believe so. In Werewolf Women of the SS, which was the one that Rob Zombie has contributed. He shot the the quote-unquote trailer for it. And if you've ever seen his concerts, it appears in the background of one of his songs. But that one hasn't been hasn't been adapted. No. And you have to wonder if at some point somebody's going to get the idea that they need to do either. I, I don't know. I, I mean, can almost see Zombie decide to do it out of fun, but at this point yeah, he's got I mean, enough Hobo other with projects. Yeah, I mean, shotgun didn't generate any anything. No. The first Machete might have a little bit, but I think Machete Kills is going to kill whatever momentum right. that had. And Yeah, I, these, these just need to die now. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of movies that just need to die, <laughs> I saw a movie that was up from 2012, but finally got wide release this year, called The Motel Life, with Emil Hirsch. Is my pronouncing his, his name right? Speed racer guy, and I want to say he was in what uh, the the just the movie with Timberlake. What was it? The, where they abducted the kid? The true story of a rival uh, drug lord. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, and, and, and basically, it's the story of two brothers who, whose mom is dying when they're fairly young. And she basically gives them all that she's got, which is a few hundred bucks, and their dead father's rifle that was this overly gaudy-looking thing, and tells them just to go find a new life somewhere. So they, they set out on the road, as kids will do, with a, a shotgun or, or a rifle and four or five hundred bucks, and decide they're going to travel somewhere by rail where the younger version of Stephen Dorff falls off the train and gets run over, losing his leg from the knee, losing one of his legs from the, the kneecap down. Yeah, I just hope I didn't break your chair. No, it's a cheap chair. Yeah, all right. So, fast forward to them being adults, and basically they're, they're living life, doing odd jobs, hanging, living in Reno and little dump, dump motels, it's because it's cheaper than getting an apartment, barely existing. 
And it's all uh, Stephen Dorff, and I haven't figured out how he did it because he was somehow driving semi drunk one night, sans half a leg. Luckily, it must have been the left leg, I guess. Right. And he runs over a kid. And the, the kid dies. He leaves the kid outside the hospital. And basically, the rest of the movie is them fleeing from hotel to, uh, to hotel around Reno without being caught by the police. And if you think this seems like it's not working for a movie, you're right. At no point... Does this movie ever work in any way, shape, or form? Because the fact, and the fact, of the movie matter is, you tell me you have a movie with a couple Drifter brothers around Reno. There's been a hit and run accident that they they've got to deal with. You could have the potential for a good story. Enter a character played by Dakota Fanning, playing the newer adult version of Dakota Fanning, where she's trying to break the image of her as a kid, and she's basically a a prostitute. Whose mom has gotten her into the business? That is a sympathetic well, character. Mother of the year, right? It's a, in a, a, a reminiscent of the scenes in this this year's Sons of Anarchy, the Adrian Barbeau character, much the same way. But the problem with this movie is, it has got to be the single most boring script I've ever seen play, played out. Couple it with the most boring music and some of the most boring line de- deliveries. We go somewhere else, right? What happened? It's nothing. Hey, Sam. Can we leave, leave? Just stay here. You gotta get away from your mom. Can you at least just tell me a story like the one you told Jerry? It could be you and me on an island in the Pacific Ocean with the sun. This movie was 85 minutes of the most painfully boring film with no payoff that I have seen in years. And I'm. This may sound like I'm exaggerating. I'm not. I can't begin to recommend this to anybody except somebody who suffered from insomnia. Right. It was a struggle to sit through this. I saw no reason to watch it. Nobody delivered any great standout performances. The music wasn't great. The best actor in this movie was a dog that Emil Hirsch adopts in the middle of it. And you kept waiting for somebody to pull that rug out from any of you. The dog's going to get hit by a car, right? Then I won't have that to latch on to. I'll have Dead Dog and two people I don't care about, and Dakota Fanning, who you float in and out every now and then. This movie is... Uh, some people may like it. For me, at best, a 1.5 out of 5, and that's the only point five is going for the dog. <laughs> Other than that, this movie was brutal. Yay, dog. Right. They adopted a shelter dog. Good for them. You know what would have made that movie better? Shark eating a moose. That's true. Actually, if... That was the story. Had Stephen Dorff been walking his pet moose on the beach, the shark gets grabbed by a moose. Uh, the, the moose gets grabbed by a shark, and he loses his leg that's, fighting to save his. That's save human his, emotion. There you go. Excellent. 
And then you could see him drinking himself into oblivion, dealing with it, and then he hits the kid. So all along he's all been about a victim. Vengeance for the against the shark. That would have been a great movie. Yeah. Now we're on to something. It's called sci-fi. It sounds like right up there, alley. <laughs> this is true. Except then it would involve a, a twister of some kind, or right. oh, worse, this time it's a blizzard. Right. Be like Musasaurus versus uh, <laughs> Sharktopus or whatever. All right, uh, the last movie I saw, um, I'm going to be a contrarian on this one, and, and certainly in the minority, I think, of, of the... Of, I was on the to-do list. Of the consensus out there. Um, I saw All is Lost, and that is a smaller independent movie, but it's garnering enough awards buzz that most people have probably at least heard of it. And it's the story where Robert Redford is stranded at sea on his small sailboat and it's really just about his attempt at survival out on the open water. Um, apparently he's uh, hundreds of miles from any land uh, and he, while he's sleeping, apparently his boat runs into a shipping container that had fallen off uh, a cargo ship or something and it damaged his boat. Now, he is the only character in this movie, period. Um, and he doesn't utter more than 12 words. There's, there's one scene where he, he uh, thinks he hears uh, a voice on, on his uh, transmitter and he does a couple of mayday maydays. And then he lets out a, uh, a frustrating uh, expletive about midway through the, through the film. That's all you hear from him. Other than that, it's just sounds of boat, sounds of storms and stuff. Hmm. Dude, this this movie, to me, was boring. Um, first of all, you've never, you've never told me why this guy's even out in the middle of the ocean. You've given me no context around who this guy is, what his point is, who, who likes him, who knows him, who anything... I know nothing about this guy, and you're asking me to give a shit about him. If I don't have any context around him, why should I give a shit? Maybe he's escaping freaking mass murder at the orphanage. I don't fucking know. Which is why no one's looking for him. Wait, I don't, I don't <laughs> care who this guy is, so I'm not invested in whether he survives or not. Um, and everything that he does survive, yeah, he gets, it's a hardship out there, and there, there's, it, it, it makes it forces him into using what survival techniques he has at his disposal, but the whole time Redford, who's getting a lot of of love for his performance here, and I'd imagine that that being the only guy on screen at all times is very challenging. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you that Robert Redford uh, didn't do a good job with this, but I didn't see anything otherworldly out of Robert Redford. He does not, he did not, with this character, emote to an emotional level that convinced me that he was worth rooting for. He's very calm and collected and stoic in a lot of, a lot of cases. In situations where he should be, in my opinion, mentally breaking down, he just never does. After a while, he'll show a little bit of frustration um, like I said, about halfway through, as things as things seem to to build, um, and and then there's just every every genre cliche of stranded at sea is in here. You get 
You get the raging storms that he has to weather. You get the, the, the boat taking on water piece. You get the lifeboat springing a leak thing. You get the shark circling thing. It's all there. It's all, it's all predictable. And then you get towards the end of the film, um, and there's a couple situations there, and I won't spoil it, where you think maybe there's going to be, uh, something's going to change for the guy in his favor. And it doesn't, and unfortunately they present it in a way that it makes no sense how he didn't make it through that. To me, I just don't see how he wasn't rescued. But he isn't. And then the ending is very... Uh, it's ambiguous. Uh, we don't... We, I'll, I'll basically just say, does he get rescued? Does he die? It's up to you, I guess. I know how I feel about it. I won't share that. Um, I, it just it, it just seemed pointless to me. Um, I, it was, I, I will say something good. It was beautifully shot. The cinematography on this is, is very well done. Um, it, it, they do a really good job, uh, with some of their, their, uh, their far wide angle shots of, of showing you how isolated this guy really is. Um, there's a lot of up close shots that, that just show like the amount of danger that he's in at times. Um, I, it was really good. In the, in the last ten minutes, some of the some of the shots are just are beautiful. They're, they're really really good. Um, I just I just never gave a shit about the character. Um, maybe if you're a boating enthusiast, you may find something to latch on here just from the survival at sea thing. But uh, Redford's a bore, and I think he's getting a lot of undue love here, specifically because I think they just want to award one of the icons of Hollywood one last time right. while they can. Because um, I don't think his turn in Captain America is going to garner him Probably those not. awards. Um, like I said, I, it's not really so much... I don't think it's really Redford's fault so much. Um, it's just sort of... And he does fine with what he has to do. But nothing screams at me that, that this was some you know groundbreaking performance. Certainly no groundbreaking film. Really just kind of boring, and I didn't give a shit one way or the other about the guy at the end. Right. I gave it a one and a half out of five. If You want, you won't find a lot of, of grades on this flick uh, that are that bad. You're, you're, it really is garnering a lot more uh, love around the interwebs than I'm going to give it credit for. But, you know, I, I don't, that's fine. You know, we don't all have to agree. Um, uh, but this one didn't do it for me. It didn't work. All right. So, that's what we watched. Um, we'll take a break here, and we'll come back with an interesting top five list uh, in honor of the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday. Dinner, Mon First, we have French fries and French dressing and French bread. And to drink, ta-da, Peru. So, Thanksgiving week is coming up. Um, as fat guys, it's this is one of our, be the greatest holiday. Well, this is one of our, our favorite holidays, certainly. There's no gift-giving bullshit. No? 
They're, they're, you just get together, eat, drink, watch football. Yes. And if, if you're so inclined, a parade. Sure. You do the parade thing with Meg. I know, and, and I get that. It's something you've, you've done with the kid forever. Yeah. Me, I've never, I'm not I a parade grew up guy. On the parade. Yeah, I, I'm not a parade guy. My parents never would pay a parade. Secretly, people. I'm just waiting to see one of those balloons pop and then this, this massive Pikachu go. Which would be uh, funny as hell. It would be awesome. And, and you gotta love the shots when they do have one of the balloons that go. They they always see it show them collapsing over right. the people underneath them. I'm like, <laughs> oh crap! But yeah, Thanksgiving is it's got to be the single most underrated holiday of the year. So we thought it'd be fun to do a top five around the whole since Thanksgiving is a lot of uh, a lot of it's around food. Um, I thought it'd be fun to do a top five. Favorite scenes from movies that involve food in some way. Could be just sitting down to a meal. Could be whatever you want to interpret that. But mm-hmm. somehow, food has to come into play in the scene you're talking about. Okay, so I don't remember the last top five we did who started. I don't know. Don't matter to me, dude. Um, <clears throat> I gotta, I gotta kind of organize my thoughts here. So if you've got, if you've got your number five, go for it. I, I, I do. Um, there's a comedy that I hold near and dear. Uh, that's a recent comedy. So, All right. well, no, fairly no, recent. There's gonna be no crossover here, though. Early '90s, uh, or I'm sorry, early 2000s. But one of my called Talladega Nights, and one of my very favorite scenes is early on when. They're sitting down to the, the great feast that, that Ricky Bobby's wife has made. And they pan back, and it's nothing but stacks of KFC, Domino's, McDonald's. In which, as a NASCAR <laughs> fan, you got the jab. Right. You get the fact that this is the spoiled little rich girl now who is some redneck chick who followed one of the, one of the drivers, so is now a millionaire. And it's also the whole sponsorship thing. That, that's one problem that NASCAR and any racing sport has is just the, the, the how ridiculous the sponsorship thing can get. Yeah. Um, but it's also the conversations during this, this feast as they're, they're, they bow their heads to pray to the little baby Jesus and the whole lines. But actually with, uh, not Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, uh, John C. Riley. Basically saying that he actually pictures more of like a roadie Jesus wearing the fog hat jersey. And just the, the banter that goes back and forth. And then you add the kids in the middle of it telling their grandfather that, that they spent the day throwing his war medals off the bridge. And <laughs> that, they get a, that they're all hopped up on Mountain Dew as they're feasting on Domino's. I always love the scene. It, it, it makes me laugh my ass off every time I see it. Because one of the most uncomfortably funny scenes that goes on and on, when you realize how much of it was ad-libbed to boot. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, hey Zeus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family. My two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. It's just brilliant comedy. A brilliant modern comedy. And, uh, yeah, got to go with Anchorman, Anchorman, Talladega Nights, The Legend of Ricky Bobby for my number five. My number five um, is also 
um, seasonally appropriate, not necessarily for, for Thanksgiving uh, specifically, I but for the holiday that. season. Um, and it, it isn't so much in the comedy aspect, although you could say it's, it's, it's comedic, but it's more in how real it really is. Uh, and, and how it's not, you can tell a lot of things about, about this movie that are exaggerated to a point, but are also rooted in reality. And I'm talking about a Christmas story, of course. And I'm talking about how the mom has to get Randy to eat his dinner. When they're sitting around having what appears to be pork chops and mashed potatoes. And apparently Randy never eats. And Randy's one of these kids that's just like, oh, 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 stuff. So mom plays the whole, show me how the piggies eat. And you know, yeah, and Randy just starts pounding his face into this thing, and it's disgusting, and it's it's awesome in its disgustingness from just the reactions of Ralphie and the old man as they're watching Randy do this. Cause Give me tell, a shovel and I'll force yeah. it down. I'll force it down him. Which, you know that this scenario played out in countless oh houses. In that era. Oh, yeah. Maybe even today. Who knows? Hey, you, everyone has got that. Knows that. It, you may not have that sibling, but everybody knows somebody who's got a sibling who just flat out won't eat. Right. And they're normally the chunkiest kid, and you don't understand how. Yeah, right. But they don't eat. They're certainly not going to eat the dinner laid out in front of them. Right. How do the little piggies go? <laughs> That's right. Oink, oink. Now, show me how the piggies eat. This is your trough. Show me how the piggies eat. That's what, and especially, that's what works here is, you're talking shot in an era that people were struggling, and here's this guy struggling to make ends meet, mom's yep. busting her ass, and here's yep. the kid won't eat. Yep. It's like, fuck you, you little <laughs> bastard. Yep. So Randy's, uh, Randy's little piggy act in Christmas Story is my number five. All right. Well, then I'm going to roll out a comedy from now going back uh, quite a bit further. Oh. You're going to hit this one. Together. No, I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think so. All right. I'm going National Lampoon's Vacation. And I'm going the scene of eating the sandwiches. We're when, a lot closer than when, when <laughs> think. Clark is sitting there and he's doing his dance when he finally sees uh, Christy, Brinkley. Christy Brinkley. And when, as a kid, you realize he's <laughs> he's his entire dance is emulating going down on a girl. And and, right. and then the classic line, oh my god, why are the, why are the sandwiches all wet? The dog went on the picnic basket as he's got his mouth full of sandwich. That was That's just a great scene in a movie right full of great scenes. But it was also the payoff that during the, the couple scenes of, of trade of uh, playing back and forth, Christy Brinkley, he get to see the Christy Brinkley dance, which as a kid from that era, oh, seeing her dance around that Ferrari that was, was right a up there wonderful with the Phoebe scene. Cates coming out of the pool. Yes, scene. it was. And, and but ending it with him realizing that he was now eating on eating a sandwich that a dog had pissed all over, and better yet, Aunt oh, what the fuck was the aunt name? Aunt Edna. Aunt Edna 
played by Emma Jean Coca, giving the shrug like, eh, it's my dog, and going ahead and eating yeah. anyway. It was such a great scene. So yeah, National Lampoon's Vacation. Good call. And I, and I say we were uh, we were a lot closer here than than uh, than we uh, thought uh, by saying that. Um, because I'm also going to go back and reference National Lampoon, mm-hmm. but I'm going to reference National Lampoon's Animal House. Yeah. Um, and the classic scene, one of the most, when you think of John Belushi, um, it's one of those scenes that's just iconic in, in, and I was never really a big Belushi guy. I never really, never really got the genius that apparently Belushi, uh, is, that's the regard he's held in. Um, but the scene in the cafeteria there where it just basically starts out with him stuffing his mouth with the mashed potatoes and impersonating a zit, and then it just it it escalates into this entire food fight, you know, and and just it 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 totally embodies everything about Animal House yep. at this point. That these are just a bunch of of uh, uneducated troublemakers that are in this institution to just sort of party and do whatever and it's exactly the type of scene that makes animal house uh what it is um so belushi uh belushi starting the food fight in animal house is my number four all right well i'm gonna wander away from comedy for a second and i'm going to go with a a sci-fi movie in, in a series of movies that can be hit or miss but this one was one of the hits, and it's no—it's no secret that every uh, sorry, every even-numbered Star Trek movie is considered to be a good one. I think the whales is debatable, but I, I'd take Wrath of Khan over that one. But Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country was one of my favorite one uh, favorite movies, and and if you don't remember that movie, it's the one where the Klingon moon of Praxis explodes. And it basically forces the Klingons and the Federation to form a truce. It's what had to be done to allow for any sense to be made of Star Trek Next Generation, which is already out with Worf on the, the, the on the crew itself. There's a great scene where the, the basically it's the Enterprise has to host the leaders of the Klingons, and they have a great dinner. And Chekhov even utters the line, "Guess who's coming to dinner?" and just how passive aggressive the conversation is here. It was a Star Trek. It was a total Trekkie wet dream with the Klingons rearing back and quoting Shakespearean works, claiming that it was that it was all translations from an old Klingon work, and they're all getting hammered on Romulan ale, and they're basically saying everything they can to make things degrade into an even worse situation. But it was everything as a Trekkie you could hope for. When you knew at some point this scene had to happen, and they finally rolled it out here, it played out so well. So for me, it would be the, the dinner scene on the on the Enterprise with Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Nice. Um, my number three, I'm going to go... Um, I'm going to go 90s, mid-90s, and one of Tarantino's... Really, the movie that uh, put Tarantino on the map officially in Pulp Fiction. Um, now, there's a lot of scenes in that movie involving food, but the one that I, that stands out to me so much is the one where uh, 
<clears throat> Sam Jackson and Travolta uh, go in and meet up with these guys and the guy is sitting there eating his burger and drinking his, his coke and Samuel L. Jackson, and to me that's still the greatest Samuel L. Jackson scene uh, in anything he's done and he's been in every movie ever since. Mm-hmm. And he takes the thing and he's like, what do we have in a big kahuna burger? A big kahuna burger. <laughs> and he, do you mind if I have a taste of your, or a bite of your tasty burger? <laughs> and he's eating it and he's like, that is a tasty burger. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, may I have a sip of your Coke? Sprite. Sprite. <laughs> and it's just. Looks like me and Vincent caught you boys at breakfast. Sorry about that. Hamburgers. Hamburgers. The cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. What kind of hamburgers? Cheeseburgers. No, 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 no. Where'd you get them? McDonald's, Wendy's, Jack in the Box. Where? Uh, Big Kahuna Burger. Big Kahuna Burger. That's that Hawaiian burger joint. I hear they got some tasty burgers. I ain't never had one myself. How are they? Good. You mind if I try one of yours? This is yours here, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a tasty burger. The way he's just like intimidating the hell out of this guy by just naturally like patronizing him and 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 the way that he just eats this burger and drinks the guy's Sprite, and the look on the guy's face is clearly like, I'm fucked. And it's just brilliant. Well, and, and, to, cap, and to jump off on that, if I'm not mistaken, that's one of that scene as one of the most notable film goofs in history. Because Samuel L. Jackson uses the name of the actor and says, well, get a load of Brad or something. And that wasn't the character name. It was the actual name of the actor. But he does it so well, at no point do people realize it. You right. have to see a thing on Goose to go, holy... And you can picture him saying it. Right. And it, nobody in that scene was named Brad. Right. It was the name of the actor. But it, it's just, that goes down film history because he delivers it. So well in such full Samuel L. Jackson well, it, fashion. Exactly. And and it's like you're distracted for a moment by the whole Kahuna burger and yeah. Sprite bit that you sort of you're, you're sort of like wondering you sort of lose touch on what he's actually there for at this point. Um it, it just plays out brilliantly. It's awesome. Right. And I want a big kahuna burger. Right now it would sound really good. Yeah. Depend, as long as there's no mayonnaise on it. I, I, I'm i sure you have that option. Yeah. Alright. My number two. I'd be shocked if we don't have one here. I, I think we may have intentionally tried to avoid... Well, I can't say that. I've, I've got I've got four left on my list and I'm going through my mind and thinking, what, what can I give here? And I think my number two will be an obvious one. Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, the scene with the chilled monkey brains and, and the cutting open of the snake and the, the dudes in turbans reaching down and the, grabbing the baby snakes and chowing on them. Let's be honest, this scene is flat out iconic. Of, of all the scenes in that movie, this is probably one of the ones that people remember that most. Either that or Molaram ripping the dude's heart out. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a great series. 
we'll leave Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls out of the equation here. But I, I love the Temple of Doom. I know a lot of people don't really care for it. But this was such a great scene. You got it in short round and full short round fashion. You had the absolute ridiculousness. And let's be honest. Not just a little bit racist to what these people are eating. Scooping out the giant beetle bugs and chowing on it. But you remember the whole scene because it was just so damn ludicrous and so damn over the top. So I would definitely have to say the scene in Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, the at the Sultan's Feast. Absolutely. And that, that sort of reminds me, too, a little bit of a James Bond flick where they were eating the sheep's eyes yes. and stuff. Um, yeah. No, that, that's a good one. Um, that was your number two? That's my number two. All right. So my number two, I'm going to take us back. I want to say... I want to say mid-80s, maybe late-80s. I think I'm going to steal your thunder here because I know how you think. (laughs) Um, And I was going to go... It really wasn't a meal. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we just discuss this one together? Because I think we're both talking about nine and a half weeks. No! We're not! I thought you were going to go better off dead on me with French fries, no. which I've actually had as my number six and moved off. Oh, all right. Um, no, I was thinking nine and a half. Wow, weeks. that's that's a good call. No, in in a in a time when um, you know we were at that impressionable age when uh, you know the wind blows and, and you're getting hard, and all of a sudden we have young Kim, Kim Basinger. Basically being used as a canvas for whatever uh, whatever foodstuffs Mickey Rourke chooses to use from the refrigerator next to her. Um, I, I, nine and a half weeks for me was not a good movie. No, it's boring. But that scene right there uh, will resonate with any... Uh, teenage teenage boy. boy. Who's looking for information to throw in the old spank bank. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So my number two is from nine and a half weeks. Alright. I would be shocked if we cross over with this one. My my number one is a late eighties comedy. We won't. From director Danny DeVito, War of the Roses. And I to be honest, this to me is one of the underappreciated dark comedies of our time with Kathleen Turner and, and Michael Douglas as the picture-perfect, well-to-do couple. He's doing well as a lawyer. Until they have success and realize they flat-out hate each other. That when they were struggling, they dug each other. Now that they're not struggling anymore and have anything they want, the one thing they don't want is each other. But they have the perfect house, so what do you do? Battle over it. And Kathleen Turner wants to be a caterer for the the high-end crowd. And there's a great scene towards the end where their lives have just devolved into utter chaos. They've split the house down the middle. She's, he thinks she's killed his cat, uh, I mean, sorry, his dog and, and fed it to him. And he knows she's planning a big time dinner with some big time clients. So what's a man to do? He gets in his giant four wheel drive pickup truck, drives all over the, the her vehicles And then he walks in, and while the people are eating, he raises the lid on the soup that she's made, stands on the table, uh, on the stove, over the stove, and pisses in it. With the great line as one of the guests looks in and goes, 
I think they're having a, a little tiff, but I can I recommend eating the salmon instead. It is one of the most ridiculous scenes in one of the greatest dark comedies of my time. I, I love War of the Roses. Can't recommend it enough. Gotta like Danny DeVito when he lets the old freak flag fly. Right. It's just a great movie. Yeah. And that scene to me, I'll always remember the scene of him standing there and I recommend eating the salmon. It's just such great dark humor. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that flick. I probably need to revisit it. That was Kathleen Turner when Kathleen Turner was. was, That was the great scene early on when he first sees her, when she's wearing a white shirt in the pouring rain and no bra. Oh, back in the day. Uh, Oh, She was was That body heat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, my number number one also goes back into the 80s, uh, and it is... It's a comedy, but not uh, not like a, a uproarious comedy. Um, but I'm going into a John Hughes flick and lunchtime during detention in the Breakfast Club. Yeah. What are we having? Uh, it's just your standard regular lunch, I guess. Milk. I can read. P, B, and J with the crusts cut off. Well, Brian, this is a very nutritious lunch. All the food groups are represented. Um, Where lunch is tied into each individual character, where Claire's eating her sushi, and the jock Emilio Estevez has uh, enough food to feed ten guys... And Crazy Ali Sheedy basically has bread and, and pixie, pixie sticks. sticks. <laughs> and then and then Bender comes over uh, and sits next to Anthony Michael Hall. What are we having? <laughs> and he's got the nice, you know, mom packed him lunch. And he's just like, is this milk? Soup. <laughs> you know, it, everything about each of these meals just... It plays right into each one of these characters. It encapsulates everything what that character is about. Absolutely, and it, it just—it's—it's it's so memorable to me. It's one of the greatest scenes uh, from that movie and from the '80s for me. Breakfast Club lunch detention is my number one. All right. So we will break here, and we will get into a spoiler-ridden discussion of the Hunger Games: Catching Fire. You understand that whatever I do, it comes back to you and Mom. I don't want you to get hurt. Since the last games, something's different. I can see it. What can you see? Games. 
So this, I'm thinking, is going to be an interesting discussion because when the Hunger Games came out a couple years back, um, we had both read the books, so we had we had somewhat of an expectation going into the film on what we had hoped to see. Um, we had some context around it, um, and we were we were both pleased with the final result. Right. Uh, going into Catching Fire, I've read the book, so I'm I'm still. I'm still expecting certain things. I, I know where the story is going to go, and I'm watching it, looking to make sure that they're not that they're doing it all right. That they're they're not uh, you know skipping things that are important and whatnot. But you have not read Catching Fire, right? So this is a a different perspective. This is a perspective from somebody who didn't know what to expect here. You you, you sort of got the gist of of what it was about but you didn't really know how they got to where they where they're going mm-hmm. um so with that said we just got back from catching fire we did um and i'll let you kick it off because i'm curious to know where you stand with with this film i i, I will say this i enjoyed the hell out of it but i'm struggling with the premise of the film I, I like where we've gone with Katniss. I and, and I think that we've come to a, a point where it would stand to reason that we would have a Pan Am that, that would start seeing open rebellion. People are in the districts are tired of being basically stolen of every bit of humanity they've got, fed to the capital city for no reason whatsoever. And so rising up would make sense. I like the fact that they've spun it that Katniss is the symbol of hope that she's given them a reason for existing. I like the fact that we've still got the struggles around PETA and, and Gail, who it should, who it needs to be and who it, who she wants it to be. Um, I think the world that they depicted is exactly where it should be. I like the, the little signs of open rebellion. I, I like the signs that it looks like the government is trying a little harder to keep things under control because they know things are bubbling over. And I, I like the fact that the world we have, or the capital city we've got, may not 
be as blind to the plight of the districts as is posed in the Hunger Games. That there are certainly people, other than the lone person in the Hunger Games, uh, Lenny Kravitz's character, who seems to get, all we're doing is feeding these kids into a blender for entertainment, leaving them still, the survivor doesn't have much of a life. Now it looks like yeah, maybe more of the capital cities on board that this isn't necessarily right, but you can't really say anything. Mm. There's still the majority still is clearly it's stuck in a, there. Still a stupid costumes, and, right? And that we're living the dream as as the districts keep feeding us their resources. What's well, the we're symbolism of excess? Right. It, it, it's basically the, the seat of excess is in capital city, we just keep bleeding the districts dry, and when they say they can't give any more, we'll squeeze them a little more to give more. Mm-hmm. Um, everything about the look of the movie was right. Everything about the pacing of the movie, I thought, worked. I was happy that we'd already been through the backstory of Katniss. Mm-hmm. Didn't want that. I was happy that we didn't get a ton of the training of Katniss. Because I, as the movie was going, I kept thinking... We're already heading towards Capital City. This just smacks of we're going to get more training. I don't want that. And I was very happy that they actually shied away with it and gave us actually more glimpses into what made the characters themselves tick. I like that a lot. I like the fact that we were introduced to Jenna Malone's character early. And I'm sorry I'm losing the name right now. But the names in these movies are are nothing short of being ridiculous and stupid anyway. Her name was Johanna. Uh, All right, fine. Hers was halfway decent. We'll go back to... Peter Malark then for stupid. <laughs> Finnick or, O'Dare. Or do we even need to go any further Plut- than Katniss Everdeen? Well, how about Plutarch Heavens? Plutarch, I mean, come on. <laughs> it it oh. fits the story. Or Caesar Flickerman. It was awesome. Who's a great character. <laughs> what the fuck's up with Toby Jones in this stuff? <laughs> oh, dude. dude, all I could think is, did He's, you watch Pink Flamingos and decide, dude, yeah, the dude in drag is who I want to be? Dude, it's... Dude literally doesn't have more than about 12 seconds of screen time, but he's he, so memorable. He, he, uh, he uses all of it. Yeah. His, his Him look, and his forehead. His look is unbelievable, <laughs> and considering he's wearing more makeup than than freaking... He looked like Mimi from Drew Carey. Yeah, <laughs> But I really like where the story went. Now, I do have some issues with it. There's some things that just... Honestly, the simple... Uh, well, I'll hold that for a second. Yeah. The the math here doesn't work. Just give me give me your high level of the thing, and then we'll dig right. deeper into the... I, I like where the story's going, or where it went today, and where it is going. To me, we're at a very good spot. Um, I, I really like the fact that, they, that they've... In this movie, I would contend it was way less about the game itself mm-hmm. and more about the people. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where, I, I've told you before, my niece Jess doesn't care for this one as much. And I think if there's a reason why I can see people not caring for this, it's because it's way less about the games. The games in this is still there. It's about 45 minutes of it. But realistically, you're only talking about four or five scenes. Yeah. It's not these... Uh, if anything, yeah, I, would, I would argue the games is the weakest part of this. Right. It, I, if anything, at, at times in the Hunger Games, there were certain scenes during the games that felt a little long, but I got it because they were trying to stick to the book. In this, you're right. The games is the weakest part. And, and, and I can't say feels unnecessary because there was certainly a necessity to it to move the storyline along. But 
when the movie ends, you find yourself thinking, well, this could have happened without the Hunger Games being part of it itself. But the Hunger Games is a spark, quote-unquote, spark they're using here. Because it is the, the national stage again. And as sentiments changing about the way the districts are treated, this is just capitalizing on it. And I like the fact that in this one, we actually... And it was referenced early on by Hamish that because this is all past victors, we were going to have people that actually understood what was at stake. And I really like that angle. That unlike a whole bunch of people that clearly don't get the fact that, you know... Only one of you walks out of this. Right. This was people that said, no, we, we know we, we've got to choose wisely here because we at least need to give ourselves a chance. Right. No, I think what, uh, what, <coughs> what the book does, uh, clearly the books can dive a little deeper into some of the nuances of, of the story. But what the movie does do real well is that it does allow these characters to grow from this from the first movie into this one and we see a lot of it with Katniss we see a lot of a lot of how she is mentally and emotionally affected right. from what she went through in the first um, another character I thought that we're starting to see a lot of, of growth in and it's a very interesting is Effie Trinket who is I was happy in, with the, that. in the very in the in, and it happens in the book as well but in the first movie, she's completely the she's complete symbolism of what the capital yep. is of the excess of the the not really seeing what is happening here. Just sees that the everything the capital says and does is is gospel and everything's wonderful, and she's not really seeing the uh, what's really happening here. And I think as she got as she got to know Katniss and Peeta better through the first movie and in the beginnings of this one. She's starting to understand that this is wrong, mm-hmm. and we finally see her break through. And and although she's she's clearly somebody who doesn't think she can do anything by herself, she's starting to uh, her, her foundation's starting to crack. She's not all about the capital anymore. Now she really sees how this affects the the human aspect of this. So I thought her development. Agree on the Peter Gale thing. I mean, yeah, there's there's always going to be the love triangle piece and stuff, but this isn't this isn't Edward and Jacob here. This is there's more to this. Right. Um, it, it makes more sense, more context around around the. Um, we had a lot more Donald Sutherland as President Snow here, and I think he is absolutely he, he's, nailed he's it. Hitting it right. He is phenomenal. This the the scene early on where he comes to visit Katniss in District Twelve. Uh, you you can just you you feel like this guy is dangerous. Yep. And you've got to do what you've got to do to just get out of the room from him with with your head still on your shoulders. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, makes everything better, and this is no exception. He does he does great work here. I think I think what it is about this, right from the get go, this this is a series that has been perfectly cast in every single right. detail. Which, if you remember, we were discussing during the, during the casting of the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. how well, they we were questioned Jennifer Lawrence, right? But we we did comment that it clearly they were putting more effort into the casting of these movies mm-hmm. than any other young adult. I mean, I, well, I can't really say that. Because I know a lot of people say that they spend a lot on Twilight, but certainly the average young adult film 
doesn't have the attention to detail paid on casting quite like they did here. Right. And well, it, I think it's as a result, it's paid off. The problem with Twilight is while while they probably did connect as far as the look of the characters, in my opinion, they didn't bring enough talent on for right. that. They brought something here where at first we sort of questioned some of the decisions from the, well, they, that's not who I really pictured in that role. However, they brought in people that have enough talent to convince you that they are those people. Mm-hmm. All The only context we had around Jennifer Lawrence prior to the Hunger Games was this blonde bombshell on the Oscar red carpet yeah. for Winter's Bone. Yeah. That's the picture we had of Jennifer Lawrence. I can't picture anybody but Jennifer mm. Lawrence as Katniss Everdeen at this point. Nope. I don't think there would there could have been a better choice. I found myself watching the movie, and and again, the ninjas have made it clear we love J Law. I and, and not and not just saying that as a goddamn she's, she's real, but she she is a real person who can act the shit out of anything. And I there's found myself I've ever. I don't think there's anything she can't no. do. I was when I was watching the movie today. I'm going, yeah, this is Katniss. Yeah, I'm also picturing, yeah, this is What's Her Putts and uh, uh, Silver Lion's Playbook. And an American Hustle. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to see it. And I'm certain I'll be sold on any of them. Mm-hmm. She just gets it. She, she's, she's got that it thing yeah. that I think it's you don't see all that often. Well, that's the thing. You, you look at the type of roles that, that she does. And Katniss Everdeen in, uh, and I can't remember the character's name, but in the girl in Silver Linings playbook, who, you know, is is some is is a girl who sleeps around. She's been married, and she and, and the husband died and stuff, and she looks way too young to pull that kind of stuff off. But she's so good that she convinces you as a viewer that that is exactly who she was. Now, you look at you even look at American Hustle. She looks too young to be in the mix here, and with the hairdo and stuff, it just looks so over the top and unrealistic, mm-hmm. but if you start to see the clips out there, she will convince you right. that that's exactly who she is, and and that's just attrib- uh, attributed to the amount of talent she's got. It's... I, I don't think I don't even think this is learned talent. I think this is just natural. She's got it, like mm-hmm. you said. She absolutely has it, and and she's phenomenal here. Yeah. Uh, she owns this. There there are a lot of a lot of scenes that require her to show a lot of emotion, either from fear or from anger or from sorrow, and she nails every single one of them. And there's a lot of that in this one. No, it, this movie to me felt a lot heavier. Oh, certainly. I, I, I think well, there was more emotional investment in this. Let me let me word it that way. It's not about the games anymore. This isn't this isn't the Hunger Games. This is it's a lot more catching fire than the Hunger Games. This isn't about kids being thrust into an arena to to be killed by other kids for the pleasure of the government. Um, this is about. The start of a revolution and the symbol around that and the uprising of the people that are that are looking to this symbol, i.e. Katniss, i.e. Mockingjay, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Um, and it, it, this is totally more about that. And that's what you get here. And I think they did a masterful job with it. You do have a very simple task. I don't remember anyone he can kill. He has to know that. What are you talking about? Who has to know what? Snow, you came to see me. 
He's worried about rebellion in the districts. He thinks that they don't believe our love story. You know, Cash, you should have told me that before I went out there and tried to give these people their money. I'm sorry, I didn't know what to do. Candace, what were you thinking? Please, please just help me get through this trip. Please just help us get through this. This trip, girl, wake up. This trip doesn't end when you get back home. You never get off this train. You two are mentors now. From now on, your job is to be a distraction so people forget what the real problems are. Now, as we were alluding to, there are some uh, some similar missteps from the first one. And a lot of it is just, you know, the movie was two hours and 26 minutes, I want to say. So it was long. It, start, um, it does start to feel a the, little long. It does start to feel a little long. And like anything that's a book-to-screen adaptation, things will always happen on screen that will make you kind of scratch your head afterwards. And I'm interested to hear your take on this, not having read the book, but things will happen or scenarios will play out that if you read the book, you know some more of the context around it and maybe how that happened. Whereas if you haven't read the book, you're probably scratching your head a little bit more like, really? Um, A good example. And and anything I bring up here is really nitpicking it. But like Katniss seems to have an... Endless supply of arrows in her quiver. And she falls in the water when that thing's spinning, and they stay in her goddamn quiver. Yeah, the the, the arrows thing it, it would be troublesome for somebody who hadn't read the book and knew that after she shot the baboons that she actually took the arrows back from the baboons stuff that. You don't get that here. You just see the never-ending quiver of arrow thing yep. here. Um, something that bugged me after the first one, and again, it was part of the book, Something that bugged me for the first one was the, the first of the the big things that sort of affected them out in the arena was the poison fog. Mm-hmm. And it, it, at this point, the movie gets a little Hollywoody on you when they're trying to escape the fog. And all of a sudden it's here and it's here and it's here. But there's always that one path that they get through. Right. And it's right on their heels all the time. But yet they're still able to just stay ahead of it. And then, and then PETA falls down and stuff. But... You know, two seconds ago, this fog was like a foot and a half behind him, and all of a sudden, it's, it's not... It's got plenty of time plenty for them to do the... You know, once-his-putts pick Pete up, while they all... I struggled with that after the first viewing, because I've seen the movie twice now. I'm more comfortable with it now, because it, it if you really think about it, Plutarch Heavensby is controlling right. every piece of this. He And he has an agenda here, and he knows that he can... Pull this stuff, hold right. it up. So I, I'm okay. Which there's intent, there's payoff at the end. Yes, um, I, you know, I, I do, I do think they 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 crossed over into a little bit of of Hollywoodism on some of the things in the games, but again, sort of nitpicky type stuff for me. Um, what did you think? Did you see? I'll let you. I'll let you go on that first because you probably have some some. Well, at first, that I, made you scratch your head. Well, at first. The quarter quell. I, I need this explained to me. So, as as the book des, as the book describes it, 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 this is true. Every twenty five years, um, it's not just the, it's not just the reaping where you take two kids, throw them in, and go at it. Every twenty five years, it's there's something unique about. Okay, they did a shitty job of explaining that. Because they rolled him out and he said, it's the quarter quell where we're going to do this. It's like, then my math says you don't have enough people. You literally, if you you had 
Every 25 years, you had the, the, the 24 victors well, no, fight no, each other? No, no, this is, that's not it. Every 25 <laughs> years, the games is unique. Okay. But unique in different I'm ways. I'm sorry, they did a shitty it's, job it's, of discussing that in this it's, movie. It's not, it's not a battle of, all, of just the victors. Okay. All right, because my math was struggling just, with this. I'm going, so then Mag's the old lady wouldn't be here. It just so happens that this, this one, they've decided this is what they're okay. going to do. In the I think they one, need about a three-minute segment <laughs> where they're like, all right, people, this is what we have come up with for this year. Sure. To, to celebrate, because they, it, it, the, the way he spoke about it was just like, boom, this well, is the way it is. And then they, the, they brushed, the reference they brushed that, through it. Then as people, why do we need to do this? Why can't we then say no to it? Right, like it had been going on all along. Um, yeah, they they brush by. He, you know, he brushes by it by just saying that every twenty five years is a, is a quarter quell, and, and w- which provides like a unique something something. Yeah, they don't do that, and I don't remember. It's been a while since I read the book, and I don't remember the exact details around the first and the second one. Uh, but it's not about victors. Yeah, but by the by the. By the 25th, you couldn't even have done that. Well, um, literally, what you'd have... You would have had to have a male and a female from both districts win the Hunger Games right. in order to even pull that off. And if you think about it, in this 75th, it was a lot. It was pretty convenient because up until the year before, you didn't even have a female from District 12. Right. Um, yeah, it, yeah, that convenience didn't, wasn't lost it's, on it's, me. Right, and it's a little bit... Um, I think it's a little bit of a troublesome plot line for the even for the book to think that as much emphasis as they put on on how uh, about the uh, the careers and the district one and district two and how they're so dominant and they're trained for this type of stuff. I, I think it's a little bit of a stretch to even say that after seventy five years you would have a winner and a loser from both sexes in all twelve districts. I agree. I think that it, this would it would be like the the Yankees of the 40s and stuff and, and the Celtics of, the, of right. the 60s here where where District 1 and 2 would just have this would, would have won the bulk of this stuff right. um, I, I think that's I think that's a little unrealistic but again it is what it is um, and, and it works well for the context of this story right and admittedly because I thought and like I say I I, I didn't get that at all. I thought they did a piss poor job of explaining it. So I was struggling with thinking, well, then the people would have turned against them 50 years ago. Because unfortunately, you're killing the... Uh, the the problem then would be that the people of the capital city see these as true heroes. They see <laughs> their the, the victors as the greatest sports athletes ever. Right. So to basically kill them all off except for one wouldn't work. I can live with the fact now that I, I thought it was something that happened. Yeah, I think I think it may be. I agree with you that that some context around that might that they didn't handle that context so well. I also think that the filmmakers here probably figured that ninety eight percent of the audience has this read probably the has read the book, right? So, um, and, and something had to be cut to the floor in a two hour and twenty six minute flick. Um, one of the other things I thought was interesting that's sort of dwelling on me here. Is that if you recall when they were announcing who some of the tributes were in the different districts, and the old lady Mags sort of throws herself on the sword and volunteers in place of this other girl mm-hmm. that apparently was, uh, um, I, I took it to be 
romantically possibly with, tied in with Finnick. Right. Now, if you if you look at the woman, because they show their reaping from that district, and I don't remember what district he's from, um, and Mag's volunteering, the woman that she volunteered for in the context of the film shouldn't have been more than 23 years old. That woman was well over 40. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've seen it twice now and I'm like, and later on with around the context around this woman, uh, and I can't remember, it began with an A and I don't remember who, what her name was, but just say like she won four or five years ago. So if she won five years ago, she can't be any older than 23. Because once you're 18, that's your last year to be to be thrown into this. That woman wasn't 23. That no, woman was no clearly in into her 40s. So I, I think that was just a, a little bit of a misstep there. But but uh, whatever. Again, it's a nitpicking thing. Um, yeah, th- there's a lot of things. Um, you know, they, they once you actually get to the games, and much like much like the Hunger Games, the first film. Um, it's it's a long time before we actually get into the arena, mm-hmm. um, and once you do, things just seem to accelerate a lot more. I mean, they're forced to try to get to the point of the the clock and and the twelve hands on the clock thing pretty quickly. So it's never even so much about. The people trying to kill other people, as it is them just trying to dodge all of the gameplay that's in there with right. the, with the baboons and with the blood rain, which you never really see, but you, you yeah, hear about, uh, and the big tidal wave and stuff like that. And in the book, that that's certainly all fleshed out a lot more. Um, but considering that they they really had to kind of give you that that context around it, I, it is a little rushed. But they, they eventually get you there, if not a little quicker than you probably would have liked. But but they do an okay job. Um, you know, the, for me, the CGI wasn't horrific. Um, the fire is still a little bit corny. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, it certainly wasn't any worse than the first movie. No, um, wasn't a whole lot better. Um, the baboons are all right. Yeah, the baboons are, they are they're about as good as you're going to get. All right. Um, they weren't. Uh, after Earth level of shittiness. Oh, so. Well, it, it helps when you don't have Jaden Smith as a tribute. Right. Um, hey, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> we'll, we'll do an actual Hunger Games and throw all the people we can't stand. <laughs> we'll right. throw Beaver in there and Kardashians and all those people. Yeah, and whichever one survives, fine. <laughs> we'll let them live. So here's here's the question, and I know that. I know you had a little bit of context around uh, that there was a quarter quality stuff, but not reading the book. Did you see the ending coming? No. At any point, did you pick up on that something? Did you ever pick up on that Plutarch's Heavensby wasn't what he seemed to be? No, I thought they did a pretty good job of that. Um, it, it, I actually... For that reason, I really liked the ending. Because as I realized the movie started to feel like it was well beyond two hours long, they weren't any closer to wrapping it up. And I I kept wondering why it made so much sense to these other characters that they should all stay allied. Because that didn't make any sense to me in watching it. It... I, I couldn't give a logical explanation. Well, it even it even made Katniss wonder why. Right, it, 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 and, and to me that 
as a result, it played well because much like Katniss, it just made no damn sense. At some point, it's going to come down between you and them. So why go to sleep with these people right next to you? Why why wouldn't they kill you? And I, I thought that it it was a very, very good ending and makes me excited to see the way things end up. And I have not read the third book yet, so I, I have no clue at this point. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It, you know, the, the ending for this is, um, it, you know, it leading up to in that last half hour is is a little bit rushed, and then it's pretty abrupt. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's it's like, boom, all of a sudden, everything you thought you knew about what was going on here completely gets dumped out onto the floor and put back together, and all of a sudden, here we are, viva la revolution. <laughs> but all of a sudden, everything makes perfect sense. Sure. So a lot of the issues I had with the fog, with the conveniences going on, with the fact that when the quote-unquote clock was spun... When they could have easily ended Katniss's life, sure. All of a sudden, she just okay, turn it off. Yeah. They've had enough. It now makes perfect sense. Well, in watching it the second time, I see some of that too, where she where she falls off uh, when he spins the. Yes, that's the what I was implying. Yeah, it, it didn't say so she falls in, and then immediately it cuts to him. And it's like okay, shut it off. Yeah, because he knows now she's in trouble. Um, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was well in. In the book, and Sid had to remind me of this, in the book, at the Capitol party when uh, Heavensby and Katniss are dancing, dancing and stuff, apparently uh, he gives her a watch as sort of a hint of what what's going to happen with the, with the 12 o'clock and stuff like that, which you don't get here, but he does make the comments like, maybe you're what made me come back. So it makes you wonder, like, okay, what do you mean come back kind of thing? And then as I'm watching it play out, like you said, with with the cornucopia spinning and the way he shut it down right away, it makes more sense now some of the things he did to to disguise what his true intentions were to President Snow. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm I was on board with it. it I think it, it it's it's very true to the book for the most part. Um, you know, it brushes over a couple things or maybe a couple of little minor details. But there's not really, really much more you could have done to 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 enhance this beyond what we got. I thought, and I'm I'm I, I kind of want to read the third book sooner than later now, just uh, in order to see how this actually ends up. Yeah, and they, now I really have an urge to to sit down and read Catching Fire for that reason, yeah. so I can turn around and read Mockingjay. And they're quick reads. Yeah. So um, yeah, for me. Um, you know, for me, this was an easy four out of five. That's that's the number um, I'll land on, four out of five. I, I, I'm looking forward to watching it again, especially now that I know what the ending is. I, I think that I'll be a little more comfortable with what I saw playing out during the games itself. Right. Um, it, it makes even way the ending more sense. seems a little rushed because now we're like, all right, well, how'd you get here? How'd Gail get here? What really happened? Where are her sister and her mom? How did uh, Peter get picked up and where is he now? So these are questions that... We will get answered with Mockingjay. And I am curious to know if Mockingjay picks right up immediately from here. Or if there is some backstory also. Or if they, if it picks up from here, but now Hamish and Philip Seymour, Plutarch, uh, Plutarch, 
and Gail actually give some of the backstory to Katniss because they can now to explain how well, they were. Well, it makes you wonder if the Jabber the screams from the Jabber Jays were real because they they are copycat birds. Mm-hmm. So was Prem being uh, you know tortured or something? And we don't know where they are. We don't know. We know that she's alive, and we know that Gail got them out. Right, got them to just. But we don't know what that means yet. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely interesting. Stanley Tucci off the hook. Oh God. He's just creepy off the hook. But I I liked the scene when all of a sudden the, the, all the contestants show the solidarity and how much it bothered Stanley Tucci, uh, Cesar Flickerman, not that he felt anything for them, but it was fucking with his broadcast and he knew it. He knew he, he, that they had him sensing exactly what was happening with this crowd. And granted, it was, what, the the whole pregnancy comment that was yeah. the final straw. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's when some of the capital dwellers were like, cancel the game, yeah. cancel the game. And you knew he could. President Snow can't do that. Right. Uh, what did you think about the entrance of Jenna Malone in this movie? Oh, dude, I, 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 <laughs> I loved it. I, I thought it was... But I also loved... For what, the humor piece of it? it Actually, yes and no. Uh, more than that. I also like the fact that it was the first time that they showed Katniss caring whatsoever about what PETA was thinking. Mm-hmm. Because it, clearly it's going to catch Hamus's eye when Jenna Malone drops trial in front of them. Because she's not an ugly girl by any stretch. No. But when PETA, who Katniss supposedly doesn't care about, is like, wow. All right. And the look that she gave, I thought it was really well done. That was kind of, it was a priceless scene. And I also liked it because it clearly played into the end game here too. That that she was a wild card. She was intended to be a wild card that was actually on the side, on the right side. Right. Well, yeah, I, I thought it was a great scene. Cool. Um, any other characters? How about uh, Sinna's predicament? Uh, sort of sort of uh, playing the martyr here as yeah, one last you know, big fuck you to the president. Right, and, and you kind of saw that coming, but I liked the way they went... Well, I love the roof. Yeah. I liked the way it was presented at the moment it was. To me, if I'd been reading it in the book, if that's how they timed it, that's perfect. It was just... it would If you're trying to get to Katniss, mm-hmm. that's one way to do it. Sure. Give her that one final shot when she can't do anything about it right at the last second. Mm-hmm. Right as she's about to be dropped in there, boom. Um, and I also loved the scene where Katniss had to go show her expertise again for, for all the people to see. And instead... Does her little does her own little show with the with the makes the makes the hanging doll with Seneca Crane yeah. in front of that was awesome. that was great that, that was, was a great really touch yeah. because I'm watching it going why would they have them do that they know what each of these people's skills now granted if somebody's forty years removed their skills have failed off right. but you know what Katniss's skills are going to be so I I, I found myself. Wondering why, but when I that think, scene played out, they never say this. My interpretation of that would be that you know, Heavensby, as the game maker, wants to know where these people are at so that, that maybe he knows when and, and how to manipulate the pieces of the puzzle right. of the actual game. Uh, he knows when to when to force people to move and do this kind of stuff. And if he knows this information, it probably uh, you know adds to his decision making. Yep. So, 
Yeah, I, I thought it was great. Um, you know, I I can only give it a four out of five, which is a great score, just because it's it's just it, it, it is a little rushed in, in points, and there are some contextual issues around some of the things for those who haven't read the book. Um, but I, you know, I couldn't really ask for anything better no. out, of, out of what they did with this. I, I think it is a better. I think it is better than the first film. Oh, no question. Um, the, the, I, I love the first, first film, but it's it, it feels like a completely it's, different film. It's, well, like the characters, the, the story has evolved, and they did a good job yeah. with understanding that and focusing on the pieces that need to evolve yeah. here, which is the uprising and the rebellion and the symbolism and, and the hope, as Perm says. They said it's something different this time. And people start to feel hope, mm-hmm. and and people are starting to to wake up and 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 realize that they're getting a raw deal here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, for me it was it was great. I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah, no question. It, it, uh, to me, I land on four to five. And again, like you, there are some issues I had. I, certainly, one of the issues that keeps popping up is literally popping up. People seem to rebound from the worst injuries ever in these movies, <laughs> and are up and running in no time. Uh, and again, you reference Katniss on ending arrows and stuff, but yeah, the story yeah, itself, stuff. right? Yeah. The story itself was just a great story, yeah. and I like the fact that to me, I feel like we have grown into something much, much bigger, yeah. which I dig. I, I, I think it's it's a, a it's a huge achievement to take what they had from Hunger Games and give us a story that we have now. That I'm actually so excited to go and see what's up in Mockingjay. I need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a testament for what we got. It's a great film. Yep. So we will reconvene again in a, f- a couple weeks, three weeks maybe, after we check out The Hobbit, yep. The Desolation of Smaug. And Dwarven Cavorting Cavorting Dwarves. Yeah, let's... Uh, I, I didn't hate The Hobbit by any stretch. It just needed to be 45 minutes shorter. Right. Um, yeah, I, I admit I have not repeat viewed that movie. Um, I, I've never gone back to watch it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have, um, but you know, in in passing, I, I can't. It is what it is. I, I, they're gorgeous films. I love what Peter Jackson does with the world uh, around that, and you know, I, I guess if you're really into that, then you can appreciate right. three hour movies. Um, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. Not quite as much there's plenty of other films out there i'm looking more forward to no question um, i believe uh i want to say uh american hustle comes out i think two weeks prior from to that and i know dallas buyers clubs out there now yep and so limited there's, there's some no it's here we got dallas buyers West club Rooka has dallas buyers club right now oh fuck okay um so there are some other Oscar-worthy type stuff out there that we're definitely looking forward to. Uh, Lewin Davis is coming out here yep. soon. So Nebraska is another one I want to see. Um, but yeah, we'll reconvene. We'll do another podcast after uh, The Hobbit. We'll, we'll see what Peter Jackson does with Part 2. And what should be the meatiest section of this Let's one. Let's hope so. All right. Because if it's not, then I'm really not going to look forward to the final. <laughs> no, no. All right, I'll do it. All right. Happy Thanksgiving.